We all have dreams, but dreams by their very nature can be difficult to achieve. That's where Access Credit Union comes in. Whether it's going to college, owning a car or building your dream home, your local credit union can help you to fulfill your dreams. Access Credit Union. Funding dreams for over 50 years. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarty. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union pride themselves on delivering for their members. Speak to them today about funding your dream. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. On this week's podcast, we're chatting to Shane McCormack, the Wexford man who has played a key role in Phil Healy's rise to the top of Irish athletics. Phil will complete, compete for Ireland in no less than three events at the Tokyo Olympic Games, which kick off in less than 10 days. Sticking with the Olympic team, we're also going to give you all a sneak preview of episode three of the Southern Stars big story series, which will be available across YouTube and all the major podcasting platforms from next Tuesday. Inside Ireland's greatest rowing club tells the story of Skibreen Rowing Club and how it has produced so many Olympians despite its humble stature. And we'll do all that in just a moment, but we have to start with Cork's Munster semi-final win over Limerick at the Gaelic Grounds on Saturday. Kieran, far from as dramatic as their Munster semi-final win over Kerry last year, but they're back in the Munster final again, so I'm guessing you're going to tell me that it's all hunky dory on the Cork intercounty football front. Cork got the job done last Saturday, Jack, but it was far from spectacular. Um, this was uh, a game where Cork struggled for, for large parts and they won by eight points in the end, but it was a unflattering eight-point win and probably a bit harsh on Limerick who um, who huffed and puffed but just didn't have the clinical edge to really punish Cork. Uh, Limerick needed to score a goal the last day to beat Cork and they, they had one chance in the second half, 48 minutes in, Danny Neville got, got inside the Cork defence but he basically shot across the goal. They were six points down at that stage so it could have made an interesting second half but um, truth be told, like I said, it was un- unconvincing by Cork and it's not going to send shockwaves reverberating across across to the kingdom ahead of the Munster final on Sunday week. Kerry will go into that game as huge favourites. Um, if, if and, and you can see why they're, um, if you think back to what happened at Parky Cueve last year when Cork caused a huge shock against Kerry in that Munster semi-final, that hasn't been forgotten in Kerry 
and those players have been reminded of that a lot. So that that that's in their minds going into this game. And obviously Kerry want to win the All Ireland too, but I think Kerry want to send out a message to Cork and everyone else um, ahead of the the All Ireland series. But the danger is that Cork can catch Kerry like they did last year. But this is a ground Fitzgerald Stadium where no team has beaten Kerry in the championship since 1995, and I know Cork were the last team to do that. But it's an unbeaten run stretching what? What's that? 26 years um, that no team has tried, and Cork have tried 13 times since then. They played in the championship in, in in Killarney, and they haven't beaten Kerry. And I didn't see too much, to be quite honest, up in the Gaelic grounds last Saturday. The film me with much hope that Cork are going to cause a huge surprise because. They really need to up their performance levels big time if they want to pull off a shock. But just on those performance levels then, Kieran, because I unfortunately haven't been able to see the match in full yet, so I've just been going off what I've read online, whatever clips I could get my hands on. And one thing I did pick up on were the player ratings. In the Echo, which were largely positive, there were a lot of sevens, there were a lot of sixes, there were a lot of eights. There were very few two, threes and fours, so nothing like you'd expect to see in Lake Keep, so largely positive, but the kind of vibe you're giving me was that despite the eight-point gap, there wasn't actually that much in it at all. So in terms of performance, who actually did play well to your eye? You were at the game. But Cork were the better team the last day. Like I said, if Limerick had forwards that could really trouble Cork, it could have been a tighter game and it could have been a real banana skin for Cork. Cork had the better players, but a lot a lot of Cork's better players didn't give their best performance on the day. And it tells you a lot when, when Cork's top performers were from, from, from the defence. Um, Sean Meehan had a pretty good game again. Daniel O'Mahony at fullback is really kind of setting into inter-county football, but the, the huge test for him is coming up in Clarny on Sunday week. But before he went off the last day, he was quite good. Sean Potter, again, was quite influential, especially at the end of the first half. He kicked two points that sparked a rebel rally that gave Cork uh, was it a four, five or six point lead at half time. That was flattering as well because that first half was instantly forgettable. It was poor stuff, to be quite honest. So you're looking at, like I said there, Sean Powder, Daniel, o, Daniel O'Mahony, Sean Meehan, Keen Kiley, who came off the bench, did quite well in the second half and he kicked two points. If we're looking offensively, John O'Rourke finished with one three, but it wasn't a great game. He didn't play that well. Um, Brian Hurley kicked six points, mostly from place balls. And it tells you a lot when Brian Hurley's first point from play came in the 67th minute and only two cock forwards scored from play throughout the entire game. So there really is a lot of room for improvement if, if Cork are going to go to Killarney and pull off the, the shock of the championship. Well, you mentioned there the performance of the Cork backs being Cork's best um Part of the game, essentially, the Cork defence were the winning of the game. But as a defensive unit, they're going to have to really raise their game, you would imagine, against Kerry because the forward line at Kerry's disposal, no disrespect to Limerick, is you know, different. Different. They're playing a different game almost, to use a cliche. So as a defensive unit, how did they look? Because I know you mentioned at times against Westmead, they were holes popping up across the Cork defence. There were more than holes popping up that day against Westmead. I'd say if I got on the pitch, I, I, I could have probably ran through and got a point. That's how open that Cork defence was that day. And Ron McCarthy touched it after 
um, when we asked him about what he made of the Cork defensive performance uh, against Limerick and he said, well, it wouldn't be that hard to be better than they were against Westmead because Westmead scored 25 points against Cork that day. 14 of them came in the first half and I think 11 or 12 of them came in the first quarter alone. And that first quarter was as poor defensive display as I've seen from Cork in a long, long time because there was no pressure from the Cork defence on the Westmead runners coming through. There wasn't a hand being laid in them. There wasn't a shoulder being put in them. And the Westmead forwards and attackers were scoring points without any pressure whatsoever being put in them. So a plus from Cork the last day is that they conceded 11 points in total. And Ronan McCarthy made the point that they've been working on their, I suppose, on the comp- their, their, their compactness over a couple of challenge games since the league. And it did look a tighter unit defensively, but you don't want to be so tight defensively that it's to the detriment of your attack. Um, so that's something that Cork need to find the right balance before, before they, they head to Killarney. A concern, and it's been a feature of this Cork team over the last couple of years as well, that they seem to give away a couple of soft frees. They did it against Clare in the league in Innes back in May, and Limerick got a couple of handy frees to the last day. And when you want to pull off a shock in Clarny against a team that have been lost in Clarny mm. since 95, the last thing you want to do is give fair points to Sean Yoshe to tap over from 30, 35 yards. Like the, the Cork defence need, need to be really, really disciplined against Kerry. Um, they need the performance of their lives, really, if they want to pull off a shock and they can't afford to concede any soft freeze. And it's very important, too, that the likes of Daniel O'Mahony and Sean Potter are fit. They both came off with, with knocks. Well, not knocks is the wrong word, but they both came off um, against Limerick, and they were taken off at the right time before their injuries got even worse. So it looks like they'll be OK to play against Kerry, and, and that's quite important because Cork have already lost Kieran Sheen in, in attack, and they've lost Cahill O'Mahony, so, and Killian O'Hanlon before a ball was kicked um, this year. So... They can't afford any more injuries if they want to cause this huge surprise in Fitzgerald Stadium. Well, we're going to park the football in just a moment. I just have one more question for you, but just to flag that we will have a full Munster final preview on next week's edition of the Star Sport Podcast. But just to wrap up, um, you obviously, we've spoken about the Cork defence. You've spoken about the forwards that are missing or will be missing. They've retired, etc. long-term injuries. Only two core forwards scored for play. Um, I think I have that, that right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So that's just not good enough when it gets to the business end of a Munster Championship or any championship for that matter. So to your eye, what needs to improve within the front six if they're to cause Kerry any trouble down in Killarney? Where Cork have profited against Kerry the last couple of years when they've met in the Munster Championship is when Cork run at the Kerry defence. They punch holes in that Kerry defence time after time. I'm thinking of a couple of, of, of Munster, um, uh, Munster Championship games up in Parky Cueve in recent years where, where Cork have scored goals against that Kerry defence by running at them and creating goal chances. Against Limerick the last day, they did not punch holes in the Limerick defence. Limerick dropped a lot of bodies behind the ball and Cork were just, they reverted to this slow, laborious type of football where it allows the opposition to, to file them in back behind the ball. And this and Cork football teams in recent years have had an awful problem trying to break down packed defences, and it was the exact same the last day. I don't think Cork once popped the ball in over the, popped the, over the Limerick defence inside to Brian Hurley, inside there, or inside to, to John O'Rourke, or just, just to try and get past the, the wall of Limerick bodies. So I think Cork need to, to run, they need to punch holes in the carry defence. You need Rory Dean at his very, very best. 
because he's a very powerful runner. They need and they need Ian McGuire powering forward. You need those powerful cork runners. Even Sean Potter coming from deep with the ball, punch holes in that carry defence, and then take the right options. Take the right options. Kind of hit Brian Hurley inside their fest. Find John O'Rourke. John O'Rourke has had a, a great campaign so far. Like we said earlier, he got one three the last day. He was one of Cork's top performers during the league. He's, he's a man bang in form. So find him. But Cork need to be quite clinical the last day. You're right. Only two Cork forwards scored from play. And like I said earlier, Brian Hurley's first point from play was the 67th minute. So up till then, only one Cork forward, John O'Rourke, had scored from play in a championship game against a Division 3 team, Limerick. And now you're going down to played the second favourites for the All-Ireland on their home patch and they haven't lost in Pittsburgh Stadium since 1995. So it's a day where Cork need to pull a rabbit out of a hat. They did it last year in Parky Creef. We can't forget that. Um, but can Lightning strike twice? It's a big ask. It is a big ask. And um, for better or worse, I don't think we're going to see Marquine parachuted in at the last minute because as far as I know, Australia are under some very tight COVID restrictions at the minute. So that's unfortunate. But as I said, we will have a full Munster final preview on next week's podcast. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to take a quick break now. But coming up next, we're speaking to Phil Healy's coach, Shane McCormack. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Ireland's fastest woman, the Balanine Bullet, and now a soon-to-be multi-event Olympian. Phil Healy has been creating history throughout her athletics career, and in under 10 days, she'll finally get her chance to test herself on the biggest stage of them all, the Olympic Games. One of the key figures that has helped her reach those heights is her coach, Wexford man, Shane McCormack. Rarely does Phil give an interview where she doesn't name-check or credit Shane for the work He's done with her, so we're delighted to be able to chat with him today as the Olympics tick ever closer. Kieran, tell us a little bit about Phil's relationship with Shane before we hear from the man himself. This is the dream team, the Shane McCormick and Phil Healy together. It just it's just magic on, on the track. And in fairness, their their personalities are very similar and it just works so, so well together. They both have a tremendous work ethic and they both know athletics inside out. And Shane is um is an incredible athletics coach, but it's worth remem- remembering that he does this on a voluntary capacity. Shane has a full-time job and a family and three kids at home. And he's then an athletics coach on top of that. And he's heading out with Phil on Friday to Tokyo for three weeks. He's been four, four weeks at a training camp in Spain a couple of months back as well. So the man's dedication and commitment and love and knowledge of athletics knows no bounds. And he's a very important character and part in Phil Healy's rise over the years. It was actually back at the end of 2013 when Phil actually searched out Shane to coach her. Um, he he coached in 2012, these Munster regional development panels and Phil was part of that. And they kind of, she, I think Phil was 17 at the time maybe and he would have seen her in action and he would have known her talent and so on but she was being coached and banned at the time but it was in, tw- in, a, in a, the end of 2013 where Phil herself felt that she needed a new voice, a new direction if she wanted to be quite serious about athletics and take her career to the next level and she actually sent Shane an email in late 2013 where she asked him would you be my coach and um, he did he said yeah, it was a risk on, on, on both parts for her to, to go to Shane and for Shane to say yes to her 
Um, but it's a gamble that's paid off because the, the strides that they've made over the years is incredible. And a lot of that at the start was the four years when she was in UCC, it was remote coaching. So um, Shane was based in Waterford IT in Wexford and he was coaching Phil remotely. She wouldn't get up too often, but when she moved to WIT in Waterford, I think it was 2018, things just took off to a whole new level then. And we've now got to the point where Phil, like we said before, she's the queen of Irish sprinting. She's held the 100 meter and 200 meter records. She's she's set so many different records over the years. She's inspired so many. And the fact that she's now the first Irish woman to ever compete in three events at the same Olympics. And it's incredible testament to her and her talent, but also to Shane and the team that he's built around her because she's going to Tokyo and she's making history again. And she's shown everyone what is possible with hard work, dedication, talent, and so on. So she's a terrific role model, but Shane has played such a huge part in, in this. And as you'll hear from him now, he's quite excited about what the possibility of Tokyo will bring. I have a habit on this podcast in recent times of claiming anyone with a tenuous link to West Cork as a West Cork person. So I'm delighted now to have... Uh, West Cork's own Shane McCormack on the podcast because your link to West Cork is incredibly strong, Shane. You are the coach for Phil Healy, who is flying out on Friday to the Tokyo Olympics to compete in three events, and she's putting West Cork on the map. And you're a big part of that story. So delighted to have you on the podcast and and glad to bestow a West Cork title on you. Uh, sorry, what's that getting a West Cork? A West Cork title. I'm glad to bestow a West Cork title on you. Oh, I'll, I'll take any title that anybody's handing out titles, Kieran. I, I'll take them, you know. You're never profit on your own doorstep, so I'll go to somebody else's doorstep instead. I know it's cheers for coming on, Shane, because I realize this week is an incredibly busy week for yourself and Phil. Like I said, there you're heading out to the Olympics this Friday. So let's go straight to it and chat about Phil Healy. She was officially announced last week as compete in three events at this Olympics and she's the first Irish woman ever to compete in three events at the one Olympics. What's the significance of that in home park and is it? I, I think it's it speaks to the just the the, the range that Phil has like to, to make like look it's, a, it's anybody's dream any athlete's dream is, is to go to the Olympics it's the pinnacle of, of your sport and career. You know, did the lucky ones get to go to two or three, or like Rob Heffernan gets to go to five, right? The, but um, the fact that Phil gets an opportunity to compete in three events, like the relay, uh, the two hundred and the four hundred, ju- just shows the she's at at the moment, like on the world's world stage. You know, like you know, we're very realistic as well. We know the chances of Phil, you know, being one of these medal hopes. It, it, it's not it's not realistic given the given the um just the depth and the competition that's out there, you know, but we, we have our own goals to, to, you know, to get through rounds. She's definitely in shape to do something special with regards to, you know, the times that she can run at the moment. Cause we saw that recently at the national championships. She, um, you know, if the women had been a little bit less, it would have been a, another PB national record type thing. So we're, we're, um, we're delighted to get the opportunity, Karen, to compete across three different, four different days at an Olympics. Um, and it really just speaks to how talented the girl is, you know. 
Uh, it's going to be a pretty busy schedule for Phil once you get over to Tokyo. And I know you have a couple of weeks to acclimatise before she's in action. I think the relays are first up on the Friday, so she, she's part of the 4 by 400 mixed relay team. And then, is it the Monday and the Tuesday, you have the 200 and the 400. So talk to me, Shane, about that busy schedule. How would you manage that to make sure you get the best out of Phil in all her events? Yeah, so look, look part of the plan at Nationals was, was to compete over the three days, you know, in Dublin, to, to sort of get her prepared for that um, schedule uh, in, in Tokyo. All right, the weather's going to be slightly more humid and, and temperature and just, you know, the nervous, I suppose, the, ner- the nerve, nervous energy side of things will be a little bit elevated as well. But physically, she, she's more than capable of competing across a number of days. And she showed it back in 2018 at the European Championships in Berlin where she competed over the 100, 200 and relay. Um, she competed five times in six days or something like that. Like so, yeah. Look, look. The relay is 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 probably Phil and and and, and everybody's best chance that's involved in really of, of making it to an Olympic final. Um, there's only 16 teams compete can compete, so they were one of the lucky few to qualify, which was you know an unbelievable feat itself. But um, because the mixed relay is on first, a lot of countries. Will won't put out their best team because you know you want to have a lot of people that are focused on their individual events where it's actually something that Ireland are focusing on, obviously given the opportunity at, at, at hand. So like, look, if if outside shot of a final, if they do it, she's an Olymp- she's in an Olympic final. If they don't, she's an extra day of rest over the weekend to prepare for the two hundred. She'll have two and a half days really off between a heat and a relay. Um, look, you'd love to be in a final, but if if they don't make it, then she's two and a half days to recover to the two hundred, which is which is loads for Phil, and then. Um, based on how the 200 goes she's back, she's back out for the 400 on the Tuesday uh, heats um, hopefully haven't na- having navigated around to the 200 which would see her run again on the Monday evening after the 200 heats and then out again on the Wednesday morning for the heat so look it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough but look like I said the girl has only ever risen to any challenge she, she faced and, and, and will, will, will go out um, you know fighting one way or the other um, and we're just delighted to have the opportunity to do it, you know. You mentioned the humidity there, and the humidity and heat in Tokyo, I presume, will be a factor once the game starts. And I know, Phil, um, she was telling me that she she was in a hot tub from WIT for a week just to try and acclimatise with the heat and the 30, 40 degrees, and that'll help her. But the humidity, how much of a factor will that be over there, Shane? Uh, look, we've competed in it before. She 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 always manages very well. Like she she competed World University Games 2017 in Taipei and competed in 2019, albeit not at full fitness after breaking her foot in Doha. Um, but she she's not somebody that that struggles with that. Um, she adapts very well physically and physiologically. Her body seems to be able to handle it. Um, and yeah, look, thanks to to, to Porik Fanning and Lizzie Kent down in the Wit Arena that were able to source a hot tub that they set up and uh, so she was able to follow some, um, you know, heat training protocols just to prepare it. But like two, two, two weeks in the holding camp is is plenty as well to, to get the body ready for that. You know, she's not not somebody that needs an, an awful lot of time in in um, in a climate to adapt, you know. Looking at the track itself over in the Olympic Stadium, what do you know about the track and how important a factor is that then? Um, we don't know a whole lot other than it's look it's state of the art it's a big stadium it's going to be an empty stadium you know as, as we've heard no fans I don't think that's going to be a factor I don't think any athlete is going to let that affect them you know um, they'll probably been used to running in empty stadiums for quite a while now um, so 
yeah, look, it's 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 going to be state of the art. We 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 know a little bit more about the training track in Fukuroi, where the holding camp is. Again, it's another big stadium track. Ireland are the only team using it, and we'll have use of it. So it's 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 nice to have such a you know like a sixty thousand seater stadium at at, at your um, disposal to to prepare for the two weeks pre 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 Tokyo Olympics itself. You know. You mentioned there that Phil is in great shape at the moment. How have the last couple of weeks been? Because obviously you're you're trying to get Phil to peak at the Olympics and there's all the excitement too. And you mentioned nervous energy and there's obviously she's, she's had to get her kit and there's all the media duties and so on. So how have you balanced out everything and how, how is she feeling now just about before she flies out to Tokyo? Yeah, look, it, it comes at you thick and fast and the Nationals was a brilliant confidence boost, you know, just to pull off the... The two, the two wins, and um, you know, because the two hundred was always going to be tough after two rounds of the four hundred, and um, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was billed as you know, kind of the, the Phil and, and and the Rashida, kind of the two fastest women in Irish history, going head to head, you know, really, I suppose for the first time since Rashida, um, broke Phil's old record. So like, there was a lot, of, you know, there's a lot, a lot of noise comes with that, but it's not something Phil gets distracted with, and it was a great race, fair play to the two girls, like they really went that at toe to toe, you know, and um. So that, that was a nice boost. Um, and then, yeah, she just looks, she, she's very clever with her time. She, you know, she, she doesn't take on too much with regards to media duties, you know, um, and, and but she also does like to do them as well, obviously, because, you know, without the media and the likes of yourself putting things out there, it, 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 it they don't get the profile or, you know, they don't, and that, that leads into, you did a very good article on uh, fill and, and sponsorship and funding and things like that. And, that, and that's the tough side of sports, you know, that it, it, it's the pennies that make the days meet, you know, um, but, no, she's good. She's good. Looks brilliant. And I know, look, it's probably a, a good thing maybe that she's not at home and that's not a bad thing. But like, I, I'm sure there would have been a lot of people calling and, and all best of intentions. But I suppose that that can be hard to deal with as well. And it's, it'll be nice for her to go home and, and you know, get get. And she was able to spend a short bit of time in, in the city last weekend and see her, see her family. So she got a lot of a lot of cards and, and well wishes and things like that. But you, you know yourself in a build up, it, it, that's, that, that can be a bit tiresome in itself. Um, so it's probably no harm she's kind of cocooned up in Waterford a little bit in her training group um, but no it's all good it's positive like look gee, if we can't enjoy if we can't enjoy the build up to an Olympics you know sometimes you know I, I think the good thing is she's experienced enough at this stage to have you know she's been to a major every year that she will enjoy this journey like it's not going to be rabbit in the headlight type of situation like you know it's not going to get to her she, she, she will soak this up and you know this is the pinnacle of her career you know Coached her since 2013, Shane, and you've seen like I suppose she can't surprise you anymore. Like you know so much about her, but that 200 meter final at the recent nationals again against Rashida, that was absolutely incredible. The two of them, it, it was a duel for for the ages, and Phil won by 100 of a second. Like and you, like you said earlier, if the if the if the wind limit was just that bit a fraction smaller, it was a huge national record, and by some distance, how impressed were you? Were you by Phil that day and that performance that you pulled out? Yeah, like we said, we'd always make a call on the two hundred, like kind of you know the morning after, um, and and see how how she felt. So when when she felt fine and she was up for it, I was like, okay, it's game on here. Um, and you know it was a funny one because when 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 Phil ran the big PB in in Belfast and she, she'd only ran two two hundreds this year, but. She all seemed to get them in, you know, one was in Malaga and one was in Belfast and she all seemed to be in just like a pretty, pretty stiff wind on the bend um, and, you know, it's not, not always conducive to fast 200. So she was she was running, she wasn't shooting the lights out, she was running 23 two, 23.2s, but probably didn't reflect, you know, I was seeing 22.8s and type of training and um, 
we just didn't get it out. And then we we ran another, we ran one race and we went abroad then. And I think, uh, you know, in hindsight, I think um, we probably suffered a little bit from um, maybe travel fatigue, race fatigue after Belfast. But we also just talked to a few physiologists of recent. We think maybe there was even a, a factor of the, sec- the second um the second vaccine uh, injection, there, there seems to be some, you know, some some data there now that there, there, there at least can be impacted like 10 days, 14 days after it, you know, and that's not, we're not looking for excuses or anything, but, you know, Phil would be the first to admit how we ran abroad was just completely like not, you know, um, in any shape or form reflective of, of the shape she was in. So it was kind of weird. We, we were like, we were like, we kind of knew we were in brilliant shape, but then the, that race didn't reflect it. And Henglo was a tough 400 far. So we kind of came home three, three, three days rest after coming home. She was shooting the lights out again and training and it was back on track. So like we knew coming to Nashville, she was in really good shape. But again, it was just how could she, you know, how how fresh was she going to be after two 400s? And she showed that she was fresh enough to run the way she did like and, and running from behind, which is not something that she normally does. Normally she she's out in front, she's kind of hanging on. So I was look. It's up there with one of the, the best races she's ran, but probably one of the best sprint races ever in Ireland. You know, we've we've talked a lot before about just just how good Phil is, and she's now won fourteen senior national titles between indoors and outdoors. And what she's done for this sport is incredible. Like she's taken taken it to a level, a new level. She's raised the bar, and then you've you've others in like like Rashida who are following her. Like Phil has had such a positive impact on Irish athletics and even across Irish sport in general. Yeah, like a, like a, one thing I like about what Phil does is she does it. She she's able to switch it on at home, like as in like she you know Corksy Sports where she broke two hundred record, she broke the hundred record in Dublin at a grade meeting, like national championships. She she likes competing at home. No different than she likes competing abroad. Don't get me wrong, like you know, um, she she she'll run anywhere. But she she's done her she she's built her career in Ireland. You know, Cork originally with Bandon and then moving up to Waterford and. It just shows that it can be done here. I'm not saying that there was a, anything out there that it can't be done here, like you know. Um, but you know, Darvel's done in the past here, um, you know, and a lot, a lot of like Irish McSweeney, just to pick, you know, two Cork, you know, sprinters that were trailblazers before Phil, like you know. So it, it 100% can be done. There's some fantastic people out there that will help when you when you can identify them. There's colleges or great support networks like WIT has been phenomenal to Phil. So. Um, 100%. Like, you know, I think she's going to bring a whole generation of, of sprinters, but but I think she's going to open the door for girls, especially like, and, and they can see that. Because, like, when Phil started off, she was a 100 meter runner. Now she's, you know, she, she, she's, she's, she's juking it out with the best on the, on the world stage over 400s as well. Um, so, like, it, it's anything is possible. And she brings the no. BS attitude as well you know you can hear in how she speaks that you know like she said if I have a job to do I'm going to do it like and there's just that you know um there's there's a there's a level of cop on there that she's able to filter out the information that she needs she knows the job that she has to do and I think that's important I think it's not getting caught up in you know it's very easy these days to get caught up in social media and you know and worry about what people think about you and like sometimes you just have to, you know, you just have to back yourself and go through the bad years, you know. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's where the, you know, people like, you know, the coach comes in. It's very important like that, you know, somebody that can stand by you through the, through the good days and the bad days, you know. Um, but she's definitely shown what's, what's possible. Um, 
And like I said, Bandon was a was a key club or a key, I suppose, phase in her life. You know, Liz Coomey had tipped to Liz there, like produced, you know, has, and still producing um, some 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 fantastic um, sprinters, jumpers. You know, not 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 just Liz. There's other coaches in Bandon and sort of coaches all around Ireland. You know, and um, doing doing the same thing. And there's Phil Healy's everywhere. That's the thing. They're they're everywhere. They just have to to learn to stick with it. You know, stick with it and put the head down and not get caught up in any of the kind of the, you know, the noise that can be very distractful to, because to, it is a hard sport. It's a very tough sport. It's a lonely sport, but it, but it can be done. And I think that's what Phil would do. She'll give confidence to people out there, you know, that may be thinking about giving up or that they're not good enough or like, you know, Phil only starts shooting lights out. Not even shooting the lights out, but start showing maybe her talent when she was 18, you know, which is definitely a developer when it comes to kind of, um you know, sprint talent in Ireland, you know. And this is like you told me before, Shane, this is not an overnight success story. This is years of hard work, training, dedication, commitment from both you and Phil and, and the whole team involved to get her to where she is now. People will see Phil now is this three-time Olympian, but this story has been in the making for years and years and years. So you touched a great point there that it takes hard work. It takes commitment. It takes dedication. And Phil takes all those boxes. There's no easy way around it, Karen. Like, it's easy, like you hear, like I don't know how many people you would hear, you know, making comments about hard work and dedication and it kind of you know the words and sometimes they don't resonate because you don't they don't portray reality right but like simple fact of the matter is that is what it is it is just you know you know it's repetitive it's it's been able to train consistently and obviously touch wood not getting injured is a big part of that right and it's consistency you know a smart plan bit of positivity a lot of positivity right a lot of belief in what you're doing right because at the start it's not going to be all roses right but it's it's been able to back year after year after year together and seeing the improvements slowly you know improvements and, and at some point those improvements will turn into a big jump you know like we could probably pinpoint a, a season 2018 as, as a big huge breakthrough but the, up to that point it was you know slow slow improvements so um yeah yeah it's 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 just it's about turning up doing the work and going home and recovering smart and there's nothing there's no there's no um there's not fancy to it man it really is just you know being being dedicated being being a you know as i said about her before like she she probably is a student of the sport in some regards as well like you know and obviously talk is going to be the highlight so far shane and it's incredible that you've, you've got to this juncture and in three events but it's one step on the story. This isn't this isn't the top of the mountain. This isn't the ceiling. Like Phil is only 26 years of age. Like, and you think what, what the future holds post-Tokyo, it's incredibly exciting. Oh, 100 percent Like, and even in the 400, she's still only a rookie. Like, you, you I could go out and look, you know, my old comrade uh, Jeremy Lane's brilliant on the stats as well. Like, but we, we could I could turn it around how many 400s has Phil around that he could turn. It's not. It's not more than twenty lakhs. It's you know it could be twenty five. I'm not sure, but it's not. It's not a huge amount of four hundred she's ran. So she the ceiling is still very much you know. There's there's a lot. There, the bucket is half empty still there. Like you know, I mean, there's a lot of progression she can make in that event because she's still only she's still only developing the back end of her race, which is that you know that strength endurance. And it's funny like the start like people would be going, oh she's brilliant. You know, Phil she can get you know into 2017. She was probably getting the 320 you know, and, and then dying off in the last 80 and, you know, you'd read a few things. No, she hasn't. She can't finish a Porsche. Of course she can't finish a Porsche. She was a 100 meter, 200 meter runner that had never done 400 meter work. So you, you can't overnight that. It, like that, that's just, you have to put the work in. You have to be smart about it. 
and and you can't fast forward it you know yeah it comes more naturally to some people but for phil it wasn't natural um, and we had to figure out what worked for her so um yeah look 26 next three years is a roller coaster of, of, of major competitions as well between indoors and outdoors um and it's only three years to the next olympics so i think the the roadmap is there and um, it's really exciting it's going to bring her you know to many 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 please god major internationals again around the world and you know phil will go out fighting no matter what like you know what i mean so um and again she'll only be 29 by the next olympics so who knows after that before I let you go, one final question. Um, Phil, go back a couple of years, 100, 200, that's where she was making the headlines. Why did you decide then to, to stretch her range and go to the 400? What, what did you see that, that you felt that Phil could make an impact at 400? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not, it's not, there's not really a, it's not really a simple, sim, I wouldn't say it's not a simple answer, but it was, it was a little bit of an accident. Um, so 2017, so I, I was remote coaching Phil for the first four years where she was in UCC and obviously I was in Wexford um, and Waterford, but like she, we, and it worked, like we met, it didn't work great. Like it wasn't ideal, but it worked, right? Phil had some great success in, in those four years, but tw- when she was, because she was doing nursing originally before she switched to IT, her second year in college, I think it would have been her second year or third year, she was doing an awful lot of work on the wars, right? A lot of 12 hour shifts um, and just, it, it like, it was it sorry, 2000 and, 15, 2015, second year nursing. It just wasn't conducive to being an international sprinter, like, you know what I mean? Um, and she would have lost a lot of fitness that year, probably, you know, got a little bit unconditioned and um, just through no fault of anybody other that she didn't have the time, couldn't put the training in. And a lot, like, I would have backed off an awful lot of hard work at that time because she was on her feet more for 12 hours. It was very hard. You can't push, you know, you can't burn the candle both ends. So, um for better or for worse, like we, 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 you know, it, it was a year of, it was a year of um, hard lessons. Um, but, but, you know, there were lessons that we probably eyes wide open knew that were, were, were common. Um, so what we did going into 2016 was say, look, first things first, let's, let's go back to the, the big, the main principles of, of, you know, fitness, strength, speed, um, and fitness was one that was, was probably lacking. And I said to her originally, um, we used to have some some we used to have some great chats on flights, you know, coming home from races. Where more often than not that year, you know, she still managed to go to the European under twenty threes that year and things like that. Like, but we used to we used to have you know good chats on these flights. We'd figure stuff out. But I said, look, we go at this. Maybe maybe we train you to be a good three hundred meter runner, like you know what I mean, and, and see how see how that goes. So like Phil's first hundred was actually the end of that that summer when she was not in any shape on a four hundred. But it was we were in Belgium, we were on a trip. It was kind of an end of season thing. Uh, and it was, hilarious. it was lashing rain it was a terrible track and I think she only ran 57 seconds like I think she's running 51s now like 52s regularly like but it was just the manner in how she ran it like she would I said to her like just don't don't try to shoot the lights out you know don't don't gun it just get around nice and relaxed be smooth and it's only 57 seconds but there was a she there was something about how she ran it I was like there's there was a rhythm about how she ran parking the time um so that winter yeah we, we just moved and we, we kind of up the distance just worked back on the basic principles of fitness got her stronger and slowly and slowly like she ran 53 something that year not really training for fours she ran 53 five and that was like okay there's there's something here there's something here and for the next couple of years we didn't fully commit to fours and look uh, people said to me before if you want to be a 400 meter runner you really do have to commit so it was probably only um it was probably only the winter just gone 
you know, after the post-COVID, the first COVID, I suppose, lockdown in, into September last year, that we really, really targeted the 400 because we knew there was European indoors in coming and um, we knew that uh, there was there was a good chance that Phil could run well there. So this is the first year we've, we've sort of really, really committed to, to the 400. And look, by default, Phil's 200 will improve as well. You know, it always has with, with her 400 metre work. So that's a kind of a highly convoluted long way around the house's way of t- telling you that, you know, it was... It was out of um, it was out of I suppose uh, a so-called bad year, you know, um, a year of lessons, a year of disappointment, a year of you know, Phil be you know there would have been tears after bad race and things like that. Like that, I don't know if that season hadn't happened, would we have ever moved to fours, you know? So it's just look, it's, I suppose it's a lesson. There's a lesson in everything, but that just shows that like look, even. Even when you're at the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of the the, the pile of of you know you know and you're feeling kind of geez there's there's no future this and I'm not good and I've lost all, you know all I can't even run and not fast out of that comes you know, this this sort of journey that we went on after that you know what I mean so there's always lessons there's lessons in everything it's known it's been able to identify what went wrong why you went wrong and then how to fix that that's key. And it's been an incredible journey you've been on chain together since 2013. Just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Like I said, I know you're so busy this week and to wish yourself and Phil the very best to look in Tokyo. You've done put West Cork on the map and everyone is so, so proud of you down here, Shane. So thanks to all of us here and pass on our best wishes to Phil and we'll all be supporting you in Tokyo. No, I much appreciate it, Kieran. And, and again, look, you've, you've been uh, fantastic supporters of, of Phil and myself and, and what she does. So I um, appreciate all of that and, and all the support from and the various different people in West Cork. Um, and we will do uh, the area proud. Great stuff there from Shane McCormick. And of course, we'll be following Phil Healy as close as any other outlet in the country, closer even throughout the Olympic Games. So make sure to keep in touch with the Southern Star online, in print and on social media. Now, before we look ahead, to this week's paper, we're going to hear a quick message from our sponsors, Access Credit Union, about their brilliant new Funding Dreams campaign. Hi, I'm Fiona Kangataran, and I'm an illustrator from Kinsale. During lockdown, wanting to keep myself busy and just having a mad year, I felt like I needed to do something different. And I actually went back and picked up an old hobby where it left off, and it was a passion of mine since I was a kid. It was drawing. I made personalised cards for each and every one of my friends as each and every birthday and celebration and event that got cancelled, postponed or just something that we couldn't meet up in person to celebrate and I wanted it to mark something special that not just that I remembered the date but just that I see them and I love them and I care and of course I miss them so much and I think we're all going through that all at the same time and so when I shared those images online It resonated with so many people and I didn't realize the positive impact that it would have and it was really powerful and it was this immediate validation that I was doing something right that that this was a sign of where I should be taking my my own career and then when Access Credit Union approached me about their funding dreams campaign it just felt like fate and they wanted their community to be represented they wanted people to be seen and they wanted to bring people together and that's what the credit union does and 
I just couldn't be prouder to be a part of this project. And at the same part time, it's actually made my dream come true of being a paid illustrator. So I couldn't be more grateful that it's going in this direction. Before we preview this week's paper, we just have a little teaser clip to share with you all. Over the last number of months, the Southern Star has been running a new digital series called The Big Story. So far, we've looked at the McCroom bypass and tourism in West Cork, but now the big story is getting the star sport treatment. Kieran, before we play a clip from the upcoming episode, you might just give us a quick idea of what it's all about. So what we've done here is we've gone inside the metal factory that is Skibbereen Rowan Club. We talk about this club so much in this podcast and in the paper over the last couple of years. It's an incredible club. Seven members of Skibbereen Rowan Club are in Tokyo right now for the Olympic Games. And we have Fintan McCarthy and Paula Donovan. We've, we've Eva Casey, we've Emily Hegarty, we've Gary Donovan, we've Lydia Heafy, and of course we've coached Dominic Casey. So for one club tucked away in Skibbereen and West Cork to... To, to be sending seven members to the Olympics is incredible, but it's nothing new. This club has made history over the years. It's the most successful Irish rowing club in history. It's possibly the greatest Irish sports club in history. When you consider that it's it's pulling from a small area just outside Skibbereen, and it has created Olympic medalists, world champions, European champions. And even this weekend, just gone, a young rower from the club, Finn O'Reilly, won a silver medal at the world under 23s. And he's and Finn is 18. So that shows that this club, okay, you have your Fintan McCarthy's and your Paula Donovan's and your and your Eva Casey's, but you've talent coming through too, like Finn O'Reilly. So what what we did for this is I went down to their own club and I, I spent an evening with Denise Walsh, who herself is a former world finalist, European medalist, and a top, top international rower. And she gave us a tour of this club. So we got to see inside, peek behind the curtains and look inside Skibbereen Rowing Club to see the club that molds champions, that shapes the best rowers in the world and just get a taste of what goes on in this incredible club. So I had a very enjoyable time with Denise. She was a, a brilliant host, a brilliant tour guide. And uh, we got to go out in the water um, up and down the River Island, which is an important part of this. So just say to all, anyone listening to this podcast, definitely check out this when it drops on Tuesday. It's well worth watching because over the following weeks, we will see these skibbering rowers that would have lifted weights in the gym that we'll see, that will have pulled on the same rowing machines, that would have been in the same boats. We'll see them putting Ireland sport on the world map in Tokyo. So like I said, this is definitely worth checking out. This is the rowing club that is also home to Dominic Casey, the greatest Irish rowing coach of his time. This is the club that takes in young boys and young girls from all around the locality, all around the different townlands, and equips them with the talents, the skills, the self-belief and the confidence to go out on the water and to take on the best in the world. This is the rowing club that has transformed Irish rowing beyond all recognition in the last couple of years. This is the greatest sports club in Ireland today. I think it's time we got to know this club a little bit better. Paula Donovan in the stroke seat. He is pulling like a dog now. No, Gary behind him. The bows are lifting out of the water. They are really pulling through. Big David Attenborough vibes from you there, Kieran. I think you have a new career in broadcasting awaiting you. Really 
excellent piece to camera there, Darren Frell. Watch your back. But as Kieran said, that's going to be released across all the Southern Stars' various platforms on Tuesday. So if you want to watch it on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want to listen to it in audio format, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or we just want to do it the old-fashioned way, just go to www.southernstar.ie and it will be plastered all over our homepage from Tuesday morning. Now, Kieran, time is against us, unfortunately, so we can't go into too much depth about this week's paper. So maybe just give us a few of the top-line things that people can look forward to on Thursday. It's a pretty hectic time for sport right now. So this week's sports section is crammed. We have two pages on the Beamish Cup semi-finals that were played last weekend. And the Beamish Cup final is on this Sunday at three o'clock in Turner's Cross. And it's a repeat of last year's final. It's done Menway Town against Clannock Kilty. So check out the star for the match reports from both semi-finals. Also, we have an interview with Town Camogie star Kiro O'Sullivan, the 19-year-old who's been turning heads with the Cork senior Camogie team and Cork are out in the championship against Dublin this Sunday. So check that out. A great interview with Kira. Can't go through this podcast. I mentioned Finneen Witcherley. We, we, we lauded Gavin Coombs last week for making his Ireland debut. Finneen Witcherley made his Ireland senior debut against the USA last Saturday night. I caught up with Damien Hicks from Bentry Bay Rugby Club where Finneen learned his trade to see what this moment means for, for the club. And just tell me a small bit more about Finneen. So that's well worth checking out. Keith Cronin made his comeback last weekend too. There's soccer, there's bowling, there's GA, there, there's ladies football, there's footballers, everything in this week's sports section. And just quickly, I have to flag too, in next week's sports section, we have a 24-page Olympic special coming out, and this is well worth. This will be the best preview you will read of the Olympics when it comes to Phil Healy and all our rowers, future rowers with them all. Never before seen photos of our Olympians. Um, we explain why Paula Donovan is the greatest Irish rower of all time. Fintan McCarthy is the man with the plan, and we tell you why uh, Aoife Casey, Emily Hegarty, they're all in it. So definitely check out next week's Southern Star Sports section, because, Jack, I think it'll be our biggest ever sports section. Yeah, really exciting. I think it's nearly going to be bigger than the actual main paper, which will be uh, quite, a, quite a feat for a sports section to be the bigger part of the paper. So exciting times. For everyone in Team Star Sport. But anyway, let's wrap things up for this week. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week with a Munster final preview. We'll also have the Inside Skibbereen Rowing Club feature. So keep an eye out for two podcasts next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán